I was in my mid-twenties, living in San Francisco, ready to take on the world, but my world wasn't exactly cooperating. I came home from work one day to find a note from my roommate on my pillow, your mother called, your grandfather's dead. I stared at the note for a long time before it sank in. My father had died just six months earlier and I was trying unsuccessfully to pretend I was okay about that. And now Papa. Of course, the difference was Papa was 95 and had gone to sleep after a modest kosher meal and never woke up. <laughs> but my father was 56 and he had shot himself. So I was reeling from that. The thought of attending another funeral wasn't exactly appealing, but going to New York and seeing Nanny was, and, and I thought maybe just going to a funeral for a man who had lived a good full long life would, although it wouldn't cheer me up, but it would give me some hope. So off to New York I flew. Nanny and Papa, my maternal grandparents, were New York to me. They were law partners and married for 60 years. Nanny, AKA Frida Tannenbaum, was a no-nonsense lawyer who never hugged anyone and smoked and drank without apology. She would shop only when necessary and at top speed. I was her favorite grandchild because I could keep up with her at Macy's. <laughs> Papa was the one whose lap I'd sit on and she would come in and scold him for keeping me up too late past bedtime. And if there was too much laughter, Nanny would yell, there's going to be crying in Israel. <laughs> Nanny was the toughest broad in New York. No self-pity, no wallowing, which was kind of a relief because my father, mother, and stepmother were all psychotherapists. <laughs> and all they did was talk about feelings and the past. So I arrived at 430 East 86th Street, the apartment that Nanny and Papa lived in for over 40 years. After Papa's short funeral service, we piled back into cars to follow Papa to the Tenenbaum Crypt in a cemetery in New Jersey. After they, as they lifted his coffin into the cement building, my mother suddenly lost it and threw herself across the coffin, weeping uncontrollably. Everyone stopped and watched, unsure what to do. I mean, it was sad, but he was 95. These men were holding up a rather heavy coffin, now heavier with my mother draped across it. And oh, uh, Nanny just, stood there stoically doing nothing. Finally, my aunt walked over and peeled my mother off the coffin as my mother reached out her arms and wailed, Papa. I knew that my mother was really crying as much or more for her ex-husband, my father, who had killed himself six months earlier. She couldn't show that much emotion at his funeral, being that he was married to someone else. And I think she was probably afraid to even open the door of how much she was feeling as was I. But two funerals within six months, it was impossible not to have them bleed into another. I mean, whereas at Papa's funeral, I was feeling sweetly sad. And my father's funeral, I just sat silently in a stew of anger and guilt and confusion. But back to Papa. We finally all went back to Nanny's to sit Shiva, and there was enough food laid out on the buffet to feed the entire Upper East Side. We ate, we shared stories about Papa, we ate, my mother cried, we ate. And when all the locks was gone and the cousins went home, this left me, my mother, and Nanny. Three more different women would be hard to find. My mother always wanting a hug, Nanny never hugging anyone, me hugging under the right circumstances. 
So there we sat and ate some more. And my mother left the next morning for Los Angeles. My flight to San Francisco wasn't until the day after, so it was just me and Nanny for a day and a night, which it was strange being alone with her for the first time in my life. I, I was a little scared. I mean, her husband-in-law partner of 60 years had just died, and she hadn't even cried. I asked her how she felt. Fine, she said. OK. So we, that night, we m watched Mary Martin's Peter Pan on TV and went to bed early. But. At around 5 a.m., I woke with a strange feeling of being watched. I opened my eyes to see Nanny standing over me in her flesh-colored nightgown without her teeth, her gray hair loose and shaggy. For a moment, I thought I was in a Jewish version of a Christmas carol. <laughs> she just stood there looking down at me, not saying a word. Finally, I said, you OK? Are you hungry, she asked. It was five in the morning, still dark out. She was scary looking. I wasn't hungry. But I think that was the only question of concern and caring in her vocabulary. Are you hungry, Nanny? I asked. I could use a little something, she said. So I got up. I found a lone bagel and some jam. I brought the snack with a cup of tea back to the table where she waited. We sat there for hours as the light turned from gray-blue night to bright yellow morning, she gumming her bagel and telling stories about the family, just memories she wanted to say out loud. Finally, it was time for me to go to the airport. I packed and dressed. She put in her teeth. We said goodbye, and that was it. New York had been good for me. I, I, I could take a deep breath again. I thought things might be getting better, easier. Maybe I had needed that second funeral to cleanse me of the first. I was looking forward to getting back to my life in San Francisco. I flew in and went directly to my boyfriend's apartment to tell him how good I felt. And there I found him with another woman. <laughs> and then several days after that, uh, the TV show I was working on got canceled. So now I had no job and no boyfriend. Everything just came crashing down. Life was just empty. So that's when I got on a plane to go back and see the toughest broad in New York. I really wasn't even sure why I went, but there I was. I, I didn't even call her first. I just got on the first flight to JFK, took a cab to 430 East 86th Street, went up to the 14th floor, knocked on apartment B. Nanny answered, unshaken by my raggedy appearance and surprise visit. She said, you don't look good. <laughs> I don't feel good about anything, I said, truthfully. She turned and marched into her bedroom. I heard typing. I stood in the open doorway, confused. What was she doing, writing a letter? I didn't know if I should leave or what. She typed for a while. I stood in the doorway. The typing stopped. She marched back into the room toward me and placed a 3 by 5 index card in my hand. Read this and get over it, she said. I looked at the card, and the title was Laurel Olstein, Pluses. And it listed all my attributes, according to Nanny. You have beautiful hair. You're very intelligent. You have a good sense of humor. You have a nice figure. You have a lovely smile. And on and on. And it covered the card. It was a list of all the good things about me, things that I should be thankful for, things I was lucky to have. I was used to being asked to talk about my feelings. But here I was handed a list of things I had not the things I lost. It was a new way of being in the world for me, a healthier one.
She motioned me into the apartment. I went in. She closed the door. You hungry, she asked. <laughs> I could use a little something, I said. I had come to the right place after all. <laughs>